Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Catherine Oliver. As global leaders work towards limiting the planet's warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, scientists warn extreme rainfalls, stronger storms, and hurricanes intensifying at faster rates will become more frequent. A warming world and extreme weather events will have implications for all industries and geographies. The arts industry in Puerto Rico experienced this firsthand when Hurricane Maria devastated that island in 2017. Following that storm, many artists and arts organizations were at a risk of cutting back services or closing because of lost revenue and other challenges. In fall of 2020, Bloomberg Philanthropies teamed up with the Flamboyant Arts Fund, a partnership between the Flamboyant Foundation, composer Lin-Manuel Miranda and his family, and the Broadway musical Hamilton to preserve, sustain, and amplify the arts in Puerto Rico. An arts innovation and management program was launched bringing together national and local experts to provide bilingual arts management training and tailored consulting services for fundraising, strategic planning, and digital marketing. The program also includes resilience training for responding to climate change and natural disasters, with cultural institutions in Puerto Rico sharing key strategies and insights from their direct experiences. In this episode, Ethan Joseph of the Bloomberg Philanthropies Arts Team talks to Maria Angela Lopez Bilea, Executive Director of Museo de las Américas, a museum dedicated to the history and culture of the Americas, particularly Puerto Rico. It is one of 10 organizations currently participating in the AIM Puerto Rico program. They discuss the unique challenges that climate change presents to the cultural sector and steps that arts organizations may consider taking to help prepare for and respond to climate change-driven hazards. They also discuss specific strategies that cultural organizations in Puerto Rico have adopted to build climate resilience in the five years since Hurricane Maria and further support their communities by becoming spaces for healing and education. Museo de las Americas is a nearly 60,000 square foot museum in the Bayaja Barracks, which is a building that originally served as a barracks for Spanish soldiers. It was later used as a hospital in World War II before being returned to the government of Puerto Rico and turned over to educational and cultural purposes. And today, the museum has presented over 540 exhibitions of art, history, and anthropology that have contributed to the growth education, and cultural enrichment of Puerto Ricans and international visitors. And we are so lucky to have the director of the museum here with us today, Maria Angela Lopez Vilea. Thanks for the opportunity, for the invitation of having me here and talk to you a little bit about our institution. Museo de las Americas was founded in 1992 by Ricardo Alegría, who was a very prominent figure here in Puerto Rico in the cultural field. We are focused on giving a perspective of the arts and the history of the Americas, but the entire continent from Alaska to La Patagonia. We have different programs. Our main program is the exhibition, which is composed of five permanent exhibits, Folk Arts in the Americas, um, the African Heritage, uh, Conquest and Colonization, Wood Carving Saints of Puerto Rico, and the Indian in the Americas. 
Besides that, we have like four additional exhibit spaces. Then we have also our educational um, program and community outreach program, um, which is like the, that is the heart of the museum. Through that program, we try to impact the community through our exhibits, workshops, conferences, lectures, and other activities, recitals, well, you name it. But our main purpose is to educate, to educate our community and our public. I definitely want to come back to a couple of those threads, including the community and especially the community piece of your work, which I know is so central. But I wonder if we can stay on the history for a second. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about the building in which Museo de las Americas is located and how it came to be a space for culture and education. This building was built by the Spaniards during the second half of the 19th century. And it is a military building. It's not a fortress. It's a military building where they used to live here over a thousand Spanish soldiers. After the Hispanic-American War in 1898, then the building became part of the U.S. military establishment. In the mid-50s, 1950s, more or less, it became a military hospital. So after that, like in the late 80s, early 90s, the building was given back to the government of Puerto Rico for cultural and educational purposes. And it was during that time that Don Ricardo Alegría, he played a very important piece in this negotiation. He was the founder of many, many, many cultural institutions in the island in times when the culture wasn't valued by many Puerto Ricans. So he rescued many of our folk traditions, cultural traditions like music and other aspects. And he also was one of the founders of the Centro de Bellas Artes, El Archivo de Puerto Rico, the archives, the library of uh, Puerto Rico, where we preserve our documents, universities like our Centro de Estudios Avanzado de Puerto Rico y el Caribe. And he was involved in every aspect because he was involved in politics, in sports, in the, you know, he touched every aspect of the Puerto Rican life. But the culture, if you name Ricardo Alegría here in Puerto Rico, he's the father of the culture here in Puerto Rico. He was an, an example to other countries in that respect, in preserving the patrimony and our heritage. So he was a figure that was until he died like 10 years ago, um, and he was incredible. He used to say that if you don't know your history, you don't know how to love your country. You need to know your history to love your country. I wonder if you could talk about the impact of climate change on Museo de las Americas and the cultural sector in general. How do we need to adapt in response to a changing climate? Well, climate change is obviously getting worse, <laughs> if we may say so. Here in Puerto Rico, for example, everything changed dramatically after the last hurricane Maria hit the island uh, five years ago. 
everything now is before and after Maria. The way we do things now is differently also. When the hurricane hit Puerto Rico, ¿verdad? it was the reality in our face, you see. <laughs> we suffer a lot here. For example, the museum was without power for over 80 days. So we have to start doing things from scratch. We are in a historic building. So this has its challenges, but it's also a good thing because we could open all the windows and the doors and the um, ventilation helped to maintain the collections. But that didn't happen in one of our main exhibits that when we did the installation, we blocked the doors. So we have a, a huge loss in that exhibit. So from that, we learned that we can't do that anymore, you see? So every time that we are working on an exhibit, we always think, okay, if another hurricane or something else is coming, we need to be very conscious that we need to have everything open. We need to have better materials that they don't retain that kind of humidity. And we learn from that part of the tragedy that was Maria. In general, in the cultural sector, I think everyone is doing what they can in their own institutions, but there is not like a official, in the country I mean, there is not like an official policy of how to do things that climate change should be important, that should be taken more in consideration. And you see it in every aspect of our lives. To go back to the building, which we've been talking about, this amazing example of a civic asset being used for culture. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how the building is among the most resilient to natural disasters. This building, which is a very important historic building, is one of the biggest of its kinds in the Americas. It has a, a green roof that is over, it's almost 60,000 square feet. And in that roof, we have half of the roof is dedicated to a green roof with plants and ponds. It has its own ecosystem with fishes and everything. And the other half of the building houses 678 photovoltaic panels. So the building will generate its own energy. Also, there is a huge cistern that is composed of three chambers that it can hold up to 593 gallons of water. It's huge. That cistern is from the time of the Spaniards where the building was constructed, but it has never been used <laughs> after that. The State Historic Preservation Office here in Puerto Rico is going to activate one of the chambers that will hold like, um, I think it's 124,000 gallons of water. So we can reuse that water in the building. The green roof also has, I believe, bricks made from tires or, or recycled materials that the roof is able to actually cool the building and also has a absolutely magnificent view. I wonder if you could talk about both those elements of the green roof. Okay, well, I'm not an expert on that 
uh, <laughs> theme of the bricks. But yes, the materials that they use to install the green roof are reused materials. So when they did that work, the temperature went down like 10 degrees. So that's something very helpful. And yes, the view is wonderful. It's 360. And you can see when the older cruises and the other kind of water transportation get into the Bay of San Juan. And also, you can see the most important buildings here in the old city from the building. So you can have like a history class from the roof also, which is a very good way to teach, but a different way, and also incorporate themes like the energy and the new sources of energy and the new plants. So it's a very diverse space to teach different themes that all of them are related to the climate change because you need to save energy, you need to grow your own food or you're supposed to go in, the, in that direction because if another emergency comes, at least you, you will have food in your house, especially here in Puerto Rico that we are an island and the help doesn't arrive that fast because it has to come through air or water. So it's very important to have store, uh, food for several weeks in case of another emergency. So this roof is, I think, is the only one of its kind in a historic building in the Caribbean and maybe in many places in the Americas. It's a very important project and it's a good thing for us, for the community here in San Juan to have it. It's really remarkable. And as you were talking about the gardens, it made me think about the main exhibit, or one of the main exhibits, you know, the permanent exhibit on folk art in the Americas. And one of the pieces of that exhibit is seeing how different cultures made food and the different ways that people live in the Caribbean and across the Americas. And it strikes me that there's a similarity between that and some of the educational work that you can now do that you had been doing through the trunks that you sent to, to schools and things like that, but also now with showing in real time how your building is helping the community. Yes, and that exhibit is very special for me because it was the first one that we opened to the public 30 years ago. The themes that we cover there in that exhibit that we show, as you said, are very educational in all those aspects. So we can teach our children different aspects of life through the arts, through the folk arts, and relate them to the sciences, to science, to Spanish, to math classes. So it's a very dynamical and different way to learn through our exhibits. And the green roof will add to that a little bit more how to incorporate those things for the work they're doing in that green roof. Well, speaking of adding to your work, we are privileged to have Museo de las Americas participating in the Arts Innovation and Management Program, which is a partnership between Bloomberg Philanthropies and the Flamboyant Arts Fund. And through that, you've recently completed a strategic plan. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the outcomes of that process 
and in particular, how you factored responding to climate change into your plans? Well, it was a great learning experience for us. We included in this process with an aim. Specifically in the strategic plan, we never had before a strategic plan that we incorporate the climate change as a topic. We addressed some of those issues, but without knowing that, not knowing, but without saying that it was due to the climate change issue. For example, the improvements that we did in our infrastructure because of the hurricane and the new things that you have to consider, all of them were part of our strategic plan because this is something that is, it has to be done through the years, no? It, it's expensive also thing to do, to have those improvements done. But we are going to be able to reach those goals in the time period that we establish because our things that they have to be done and um, they're realistic. So it has been a great way of improving our way to do things in the museum. I think it's going to be a, a very successful strategic plan for us. We have been only working a year now or a year and a half, and we already are seeing the results of this plan in some areas. Maybe you could give just a couple examples of... Okay, uh, for example, in education, in our exhibits, that is a topic that we, it should be addressed in every exhibit in different ways. We already have it in the Indian exhibit that is going to open in a year maybe. So how the deforestation of the Amazon forest is devastating for every people around the globe, not only for the communities that live there. And that kind of a theme, we have to address that and to educate all the public that climate changing is an everyday issue, it's a new way to, of lifestyle. You have to live every day taking that into mind that if you don't preserve today, if you don't work for a better, there's not going to be any tomorrow after with quality, right? So it's important to include that as a theme in all of our exhibits. In other, for example, the improvements in infrastructure is a long-term objective, but it's in the planning process also. I don't know, better shelving in the deposit area. We just finished the digitalization of the collection that it took us like uh, maybe four years since we started after the hurricane. Every aspect, every administrative aspect of the museum, all our important documents, everything are in the nube, in the cloud. So every aspect has been uh, covered in our strategic plan. We also had some earthquakes here in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you remember. The south part of the island was the one that was really hit really badly. It was in our museum. We held several lectures about earthquakes here in the old San Juan. If you, if you had an earthquake, how your property or your house, since it's a, a historic building because it's a historic area, 
How should you be prepared in case of an earthquake here? The museum is a place where the community can come and get prepared for another kind of catastrophes, weather situations, because there are not only the, the hurricanes. We also had the other day, we had like a tornado that was never seen here before. So um, strange things are happening every day, you know, regarding the, the climate change that never happened before. So we have to be more aware of these kind of things and we need to educate more, starting with, uh, for example, with our own staff here at the museum. We need to prepare them more and have like a new culture how to do things here at work also. I think other leaders in the cultural sector are thinking about these things, but I think you and Museo de las Americas are really, you know, perhaps not necessarily a happy thing, but because of what you've experienced, you are really charting a course for how organizations can be resilient to climate change, can be a support to their communities in times of need. And to that last point, COVID and the pandemic, I think, has, has affected all cultural organizations. And because it's so embedded in your DNA to think about community, I wonder if you could tell us some of the ways that you brought people together during and as soon as it was possible to during the pandemic? It was a very gratifying and learning experience. Let me clarify that because it's like a, we closed to the public at mid of March and then we just started working right away with all our workshops and our exhibits like many, many other institutions did, but through the virtual way. So it was a huge challenge because we didn't have the right equipment to do that, but we, we did it really fast. I'm very proud of my team because they engaged in a way that was really remarkable. Also, we changed a lot of our programs that we were starting. We had one that is called Crear es Crecer, that is for young adults that have um, disability problems. And that program was going to start during that summer. So we need to change everything to virtual also. And uh, it was a huge challenge with this, trying to work this project. It was a pilot project, but it went really well. We have learned a lot since then. They really get used to this new way of learning and uh, doing things through the computers. We try to do our best during that time. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And we talk a lot about culture as a civic asset at Bloomberg Philanthropies. So I think it's just a really good example of how cultural organizations can anchor a place and give a sense of meaning to a place. And in that vein, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about an upcoming exhibition you're particularly excited about that perhaps speaks to, or a past exhibition that perhaps speaks to that connection between culture and society. Well, at this moment, we have two temporary exhibits. One is called uh, Ecopoeticas, which is it's like a retrospective 
of this theater group that is called Agua Sol y Sereno and all their community-based work that they have done since their foundation. It's a very powerful exhibit because it also shows how we are, right? how, how the Puerto Ricans manifest through the arts. There's also one that is called Entretelas. That exhibit, Entretelas, is of Antonio Martorell, which is one of our greatest artists of all times here in Puerto Rico. And it's a great way to see how he manifests his different themes through the, the arts. It's a way to see things that we are living during these times through the arts. Those two exhibits are great. If you come to Puerto Rico before September 17, you will see Antonio Martorell's because it's going to be here until then. Well, we are at the end of our time, but I know one piece of the strategic plan is about increasing revenue and fundraising for the organization, which is so essential to all the infrastructure projects you mentioned. So I want to just encourage everyone listening to visit Museo de las Americas and all of the wonderful cultural organizations in Puerto Rico. But if you can't make it, and Maria, you'll have to correct me if I get this wrong, but you can buy some really cool merchandise from Museo at, is it tiendadelmuseo.org? Yes, yes. And thank you for bringing that up because I forgot that that was something else that we did during the pandemic. We did an online shop for the store that we didn't have before. So yes, that's a way to help us. You can make also a donation if you visit our page and uh, buying in the store is also a way to help us. So yes, please visit us at tiendadelmuseo.org and you can visit us at our official page, which is museolasamericas.org also. And you can see there the green roof. We have photographs there and uh, of our exhibits also. And if you come to Puerto Rico, this is a, a stop, a visit you have to make. <laughs> no question about that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Maria. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to Ethan Joseph and Maria Angela Lopez Biela for joining us. As always, the views of our guests are entirely their own, and Bloomberg Philanthropies hasn't independently verified any of the statements made by this episode's guests. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data. This episode was created by Amy June, Sarah Washington Gogan, Rebecca Carrero, Amanda Mack, Ali Crone, Devin. Alessio and Ryan Bell. To learn more about Bloomberg Philanthropy's Arts Innovation and Management Program, visit aim.bloomberg.org. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Catherine Oliver. Thanks for listening.